had some complaints from the listeners saying it's been too long since the last podcast. You're right, so I've taken over to get the next episode out. Welcome to the Future of Advertising podcast. In this episode, my dad interviews some guy called George Lois, but before that, I want to interview my dad. So, why is it taking you so long to bring out another episode? Well, in the last episode, we did a deal with the School of Communication Arts, and it's taken a little bit longer than we expected to get the, the deals in and to, uh, to get the sponsors for the school. So, we sort of felt that maybe we should just get another episode out before we actually uh, get the first of those deals through. What have you been doing with your time then? Well, I wrote a book called A User Guide to the Creative Mind. What's that about? Well, it's about telling people that creative ideas aren't just these magical things that uh, the muses bestow upon you. It's not just some idea you pluck out the air, but creativity is all about a process. And uh, I explain the process and I tell people how to have more creative ideas. Where can people find it? Well, they can get it at lulu.com, they can get it at uh, amazon.com, but probably the best thing is to go to userguidetothecreativemind.com and just pick whatever format you want. I may even do an audiobook version at some point. Who knows, but I think if you tap on the screen just now, it should take you to the website. What else have you been doing? Uh, Working. What is it that you actually do? Well, I spend half my time inspiring and teaching people, both agencies and brands, and then I spend the other half of my time just renting out my mind for, for ideas, for anyone that wants to, to hire a bit, of a, a bit of idea space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So who's this George Lois guy? Well, he's a bit of a hero of mine. Uh, he was one of the original Mad Men. Um, he's been in advertising since the 1950s. He works with Bill Bernbach. He's got some amazing stories. He's a total character. And I popped in to see him at his apartment in New York just before Christmas. Um, and he gave me three hours of, uh, of interview. It's quite extraordinary. Okay, then. I suppose we better listen to it. Okay. Here's George Lois. I'm sitting in New York in a lovely apartment uh, with the legendary George Lois. Hi, George. How you doing, David? Hello to... Uh, should I be saying hello to Scotland or England? The whole world. The whole world. Hello, world. <laughs> <laughs> We've got lots of listeners in, in the States as well. <laughs> What's his name, that girl? Robin Williams. Good morning, Vietnam. <laughs> Good morning, world. <laughs> well, we've got uh, a lot of questions, as you can see here, but also not just for me. Um, I asked some people if they wanted to ask you some questions too, and I've got questions from some, some British advertising legends. I've got a question from Sir John Hegarty, from Dave Trott and his daughter, uh, Billy Mohwini, Steve Henry, and we're all wanting to ask you questions. So the first thing is, you are part of what we would term the, the creative revolution. Um, and as figures show that public opinion in advertising is dropping and that levels of trust are going down when it comes to advertising. Do we need another advertising revolution? Yeah, I mean, uh, everybody's been talking about another revolu- uh, creative revolution for years and years and years. It hasn't happened yet. It doesn't even come close, you know. I mean, uh, I mean it's amazing how people who learn more and more about the late 50s and the 60s and the 70s and the real creative revolution when 
uh, when finally, you know, after Doyle Dane started in nineteen in the mid fifties, and then I, you know, in a, in a fit of insanity, almost uh, left with Julian Kennedy and got together with Papet, and we started Papet King Lois. I mean, I got to tell you, everybody, when we did that, everybody and everybody thought we were nuts. I mean, Helmut Kohn was giving me the you know, crazy thing, you know, and the, the, Bill Burnback said to me, who, who loved me and my work, said, uh, George, there could only be one creative agency in the world. <laughs> I, he really meant it. I mean, the most visionary uh, guy in the history of advertising, and he's telling me there could only be one creative agency. He really believed it, you know. You know I, anyway, so we, we left, and everybody thought we were nuts. Uh, we're not going to make it. It's impossible. We were successful in two weeks. I mean, we were getting, and we became hotter, uh, a hotter agency in Doyle Dan Burnback. And that's what triggered the so-called the creative evolution. I mean, Doyle, it couldn't have been one without Doyle Dan, but then when we left and we proved that there could be a second Doyle Dan Burnback, and then, and then uh, coming out of my agency was uh, Carl Alley. Carl came in with a big account and a, a Carl account. We already had something, we, a smaller thing that was a, one of our first accounts. And I, he, I said, we can't, can't drop him for that. And he said, he said, what am I going to do with it? What am I going to do with Volvo? I said, start an agency. He started an agency. He had a creative agency. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, Scally became Sloves. Uh, you know, Scally and, uh, and, and Sloves. Uh, and Scally and Sloves uh, worked, uh, worked in my agency. Uh, uh, and they started uh, Scally became Sloves. And uh, before you knew it, there were four. And then, then uh, uh, um, uh, 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 Dick Rich left my agency and started uh, Wellswitch Green with Mary Wills. And uh, they, so before you know it, there were five or six or seven tops creative agencies by the mid-60s. Creative evolution. Mm. That was the creative evolution, you know. And, you know, I mean, it was, it was a time when, you know, normal people would... Uh, come in in the mornings and in any businesses and they'd, when, they ha when they were having coffee they'd be talking about commercials they saw that the night before. Mm. You know, I mean, that was only maybe one half of a percent of the advertising done in America, but what, when, when you, you'd see a commercial by Carl Alley, you'd see a commercial by us, you'd see a commercial by Doyle Dan, you'd see a commercial by Wells and, and, you know, and, and it had tremendous impact and, and it, it really ch changed the culture. And it changed the business for a while, you know, until uh, until the four or five or six monolith agencies took over and it took over the world. And you couldn't get a, you couldn't get a great advertisement done in these agencies if you were if you were God, you know. I mean, I, I think I would have a war. I don't think I'd last in many of these agencies. I mean, I'd throw somebody out the window, you know. You know, um, uh, you know, it's. Uh, they, they don't have the, a clue on how to go about creating great, great advertising. They don't even treat their people right. I was at some giant agency the other day, a couple of weeks ago, because they wanted me to come give them a lecture and I'm doing somebody a favor. And I'm sitting there watching the way they work. This gigantic office. Two, I mean, it must be 2,000 yards of tables. People sitting next to each other. You know, 
noise everywhere. I mean, I, I never saw anything like it. I never saw the, the atmosphere, the, the disrespect they have for the creative people. You know, I said, you know, telling people they lived across the street from a park. I said, why don't you, you and a writer, the way you work, why don't you t get the hell out of here, go across the street and work in the park? You can't work in here, you know. Um, I, 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 it's amazing the more people and even young people hear about the, the advertising that we did, and they see the advertising we did, and they talk, and the atmosphere and the ambiance of it, and, uh, and the way we affected the culture, um, uh, the, the, the more they're amazed, the more they tell you how terrible it is working in advertising today. Yes. I mean, I haven't met anybody in advertising, creative people, who've ever said, oh, boy, I love my job. Mm. They all say, oh, well, you know, it's uh, it's not the way it used to be probably, George, you know, it's not the way you used, used to know what I said, no shit, you know. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I, if I was a young designer today, I'm not sure I would be plunging into, I wouldn't work at an ad agency. Yeah. Well, I, unless I started one. <laughs> I started a new creative revolution, yeah. which I could do, you know. <laughs> Well, Steve Henry, um, a real legend in the UK, um, he wanted to ask you, following on from that, is how do we get creativity back at the heart of the industry? What is it we need to do as an industry? Well, I mean, everybody's talking, when people talk about advertising and they talk about the future of advertising, it's all about, they all talk about technology. You can't, I mean, there are articles about, about ad agencies and people, you know, in ad age, you read ad age, you know, if, you, if, you, if you want to read, I call it advertising old age. <laughs> uh, you know, every, it's all technology and <clears throat> talking about the web and talking about, and you know, they talk about media, they talk about, they don't, nobody talks about creativity. You know, I mean, take creativity. Oh, oh yeah, and by the way, yeah, to creativity. Let's talk about creativity at the end of this discussion. Um, the, the, it, it, everything's upside down, you know. There's no, I haven't seen any passion from anybody I've, anybody I've ever talked to in the last 20 years maybe about the thrill of working there and the thrill of coming up with concepts and the thrill of doing things that, that are, you know, I mean, I, I, you know I, I, I call myself a cultural provocateur. I mean, I call myself work that kind of goes against the grain, but, it, but, but you know, but, it, but that's ahead of the culture, you know, not, not the zeitgeist of the culture, even ahead of the culture. I, I don't get that sense of excitement in any way, shape or form. By so if you were to stick your finger in the air and go, you know, the high point of advertising was this year. What, what year do you think that would be that was the absolute apex of the industry? Um, Just before it went down. Uh, <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I guess it was like mid-60s when you finally, when everybody realized, oh my God, we're surrounded by five or six or seven creative agencies, you know, what that where I was talking about, you, you you knew you had Doyle Dane, then you knew you had Pat Kenny Lois, and then all of a sudden there was a Carl Alley and there was a, 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 a you know, a, 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 you know, Scallion with Cave Slobes and a, and a Wells Rich Green. I mean, I, when, when that kind of happened, it, it was kind of astounding. I think people looked, took note and said, why is, why is it so, why is watching TV so exciting these days? You know, I mean, you didn't have to have, know anything about the about advertising to know that there was some fun stuff going on, exciting stuff going on. There were ideas going on. You know, uh, I'd say one of those years in the '60s. I mean, at the same time, I mean, I, uh, you know, I had, 
like in the 80s was probably my the 80s uh, I think the 80s was my was my pro, most prolific time in advertising I think you know I mean I think at the end of uh, at the end of the 80s I, I think the Wall Street Journal did a which I guess they do it every year they named the, the 10 top marketing miracles or marketing exciting things that happened in advertising and uh, and I had five of them <laughs> you know it was you know Tommy Hilfiger you know Lillian Cuisine uh, you know Jiffy uh, Jiffy Lube uh, you know uh, you know I mean, I, I mean it was like uh, uh, you know, M- MTV, mm. you know, where I, you know, so a lot of people look at my career when in my 60s and they say, wow, great. I mean, I was, I, I, and it was terrific, but I got better and better. Mm. You know, I really did, you know. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm still terrific now. <laughs> I mean, I know I, I do entrepreneurial stuff, etc. but I mean, I, you know, I take a, a brand that's getting anywhere and I say the name sucks mm. I'm going to change the brand you can't change the brand name if you change the brand name it'll cost us you know half a million dollars to change everything I said you want a giant success mm. you know let me change the brand name you know yeah. you know I mean I'm able to be able, I'm able to convince some people to do that because of my reputation I guess mm. you know but I was able to do it when I was a young man you know I mean uh, uh, when we started, Pat became Lois, successful right away, and we get the Halloy Xerox account, 1960. Uh, so you look at the brand, it's a no-brainer. I said, yeah, you, 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 okay, we've got to change the name from Halloy Xerox to Xerox. They said, you can't do that. I said, why can't you do that? Well, how do I, well we, you know, Chester Carson spent 15 years trying to sell xerography and finally got some little print uh, shop that makes uh, photographic paper that, uh, that's a terrific idea and they become our partners and um, so they got to get credit. I said, the credit for brand name? I mean, that, hey, do they want to be rich or what, you know? You know, I mean, I had to convince them to get drop the name Halloid to do Xerox, stuff like that. And you ready to lose the, and I was ready to lose the account? Mm. I mean, yeah, you know, I mean, uh, the, the one thing, great creativity uh, not only needs great thinking, but it needs uh, great courage. Mm. You know, I mean, I tell designers all the time, you know, I mean, you have, what, what do you take to be to do great advertising? You know, blah, 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 and most of all, courage. Mm. You have to be courageous. So what do you mean courageous? I get courageous, yeah. I mean, I could go through a thousand stories where I just told clients, here's what I think, and uh, well, no, no, I can't do that. And I've just plugged it, lost accounts, given up accounts, but the ones that were but the ones that really came through and made they made billionaires of people were things that I convinced them to do because I wasn't worried about making the money. I was worried about doing the right thing for them. But is I think you're touching on there something that I think is, is quite sort of peculiar to your approach that's quite different to advertising these days. And, and it's that you're solving a problem that's bigger than just filling a 40-second TV spot or filling a page in a newspaper. You're, you're solving a much bigger business problem with creativity. Thing. I mean, I, I, just, you know, I did this. I, I coming out with a book called Damn Good Advice, you know, for people with talent. And uh, one of the lessons... 
one of the things I explain to, try to explain to, to creative people is, you, you know, most to the, to, most people sit there and they expect the marketing and the the, the, the strategy and whatever the, the other marketing bullshit words are about approaching an advertising firm. It's kind of handed it to you, you know. Sometimes on a piece of paper and it's all written down, and. Uh, and the marketing guys can't, <laughs> marketing guys and the guys who own the business can't possibly come up with the right creative approach to, to it. I mean, you need, you have to, the creative people have to look at something and and your, the possibilities that you conjure up in your mind by coming up with a big idea go so beyond what a client is, is hoping for or looking for. Mm. I mean, I could name, two, 30 things I've worked on where I was so beyond what they were talking about where, where you know where people have a 15 year 10 year uh, you know uh, you know uh, uh, you know a business plan and uh, and I got I have accomplished I accomplished in three or four or five months mm. by going so far beyond what they were trying to do so it, it, it the, the people who sit there, and most people do in advertising, and they wait for the advertising problem, they're told what to do, basically they're told what to do, just make it, just communicate it, and try to entertain a little bit, and, mm. and while you're at it, maybe sell. Mm. Um, that's basically the way most advertising is done today, yeah. you know? And, and in fact, if you talk to a lot of young people, They'll tell you, they'll literally tell you, the important thing is that it just shouldn't look like you're trying to sell something. I swear to God. <laughs> and I start coming and I say, what are you talking about? I mean, I, when I do, I do commercials, you know, I did a commercial in, you know, where, uh, there were, I had the six, I picked a, a, a maple, it was a, a, a oatmeal cereal. And the years before they had done it, it was a little cartoon character. I want Marky Maple, because it was, it was for a cereal for kids. And I said to the, to the, to the uh, client, I said, well, why do you only sell oatmeal? Oatmeal's oatmeal, can't, why can't you sell it? Well, somehow we, we became just an oatmeal for kids. I said, well, well, I'm gonna try to do a campaign that broadens it and makes it you know, to teenagers too. They said, well, how do you do that? So I, so I got the six greatest athletes in America, and maybe in the history of the world, and each one came, comes on, Mickey Mantle comes on. Mickey Mantle was a great baseball player. He's got a baseball bat here. And voiceover says, Mickey Mantle, and he says, I want my maple. <laughs> you know, cuts to Will Chamberlain. You know. Will, Chamberlain Will Chamberlain, I want my maple. I Tears streaming down their eyes, you know. Johnny United go through the six greatest athletes, you know. You know, then the picture of the package. It says Maple, the oatmeal cereal that heroes cry for. Cuts to Danny Don Meredith, another very famous guy, and he ends up by saying, "I want my Maple. I want it." And I say to people, you heard in that commercial, I want my maple, 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 <laughs> and then Elton said, seven times I asked for the sale. Yeah. 
and, and you're telling me not to ask for a sale. Yeah. The name of the game is to ask for a sale, to, but each time that you ask for a sale, you, you love it. Yeah. It gets better and better and better. That, that people, that young people, most people, don't understand do advertising that sells the shit out of something, but do it so delicious, so wonderful, so thrillingly exciting, so dramatic, that when you get the idea, you know, you're, you're, you're almost peeing your pants, you know? Mm. And people say, well, yeah, but you know what? You know, your ideas are so clever. How do you know people get it? Are you kidding? Any idea I get that I love, it, everybody's gonna understand it because I understand people and I understand human, you know, reaction to things, you know? Um, uh, um, you know, most advertising, most people in advertising still think people are dumb. I've been stuck in my old age. I'm stuck you know, a couple of times having dinner, uh, lunch, and dinners and stuff with the agency presidents and stuff. And they 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 look at you like um they look at you like you're God, you know, because of and um, and you talk and you realize they think people they think. People are dumb. Mm -hmm. That advertising, and they really do tell you to your face that they dumb down their advertising. They don't say the, they don't use the words dumb down, but they say it. They dumb it's it down so people. Denominator absolutely. You know, and I look. I mean, I look at them. I almost, I almost throw up. You know. I mean, and they're telling me that. You know, no, no. I, I do the ideas that are, that I think are thrilling that I get. And I know when I run them, that America's going to get it for sure. You know, I mean, I don't know. I don't, you know, the reason I mention that is like a lot of kids have said to me, so technically, you teach classes and something. They said the kids say, uh, "Do you think it's a good idea that maybe I could? I'm having trouble getting a job. I go to Europe and maybe go to England or go to some other country to be an art director." I said, "What are you talking about?" I couldn't be an art director in England. I don't understand the culture. Mm. I mean, I don't. I mean, I couldn't get an idea in England. Most probably, most where I could say that is fucking it. Mm. And I know, I know England. I know that is gonna go nuts for this. I would never be sure of that. Mm. I, when I do it in America, I understand the culture so so well it's sickening you know and I mean I have to so you can't do advertising somebody said go be an art director in Spain I said how well do you speak the language I, I, I speak it a little bit are you crazy I mean I, I mean you got to understand the, the culture to do advertising that really wins people that that, that you know that, that that you know thrills people that really you know that that Catches people's eyes that that, that and causes uh, you know and 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 just their heart and 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 causes them to act. Yeah, you know? yeah I was I was discussing that very thing the uh, the other week there with somebody, and we're, we're talking about how there seems to be two different forms of advertising. There's advertising that that leeches off culture, and there's advertising that adds to culture. Sure. And I think a lot of the stuff that you've done sure. has been stuff that's added to culture. Sure, I mean, look, you have to understand the culture certainly, and that's. You should do advertising, or you understand. But you can many times, and I could almost sit down and enumerate them. You would create things that were ahead of the culture, that became the culture mm. two months later. You know, um, uh, I mean that's not your object, but that's 
think that comes out of the kind of thinking you you, you come up with. The thrill. You do some thrilling, thrilling. I do sometimes. I do what I think is a thrilling idea, and then when I start to implement and figure out how to use it in television, et cetera, et cetera. As I work at it I, and I develop it, I realize, whoa, it's a bigger idea than I thought. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the big idea, when, when you sort of talk about the, the big idea, particularly in your, in your book, George Lowe's and the creation of the big idea, it, it's, it's all about where you get your ideas from. Well, that's another story. I mean, that, that book, I, that book kind of is a book that is forced on me because I'd, I'd sit sometimes in um, when we put people in the Art Directors Hall of Fame. You know, I started the Art Directors Hall of Fame in '72. I, I, I they they made me president because they wanted a young guy to shake it up because they were old. it was being run by the Art Directors Club was being run by these guys who were no scholarship funds, no nothing. They they spent all their money having lunch, free lunches for themselves. I was coming in to do something, so I came in. What the first thing I did, you know, besides the scholarship program, et cetera, was I started Art Directors Hall of Fame, you know, place where you can teach, you know, teach history of design, you know, because without what happened before, you can't, Mm-hmm. I, you can't do anything without what happened before, that, um, as far as I'm concerned. And uh, so, and then over the years, you know, to this day, people would, would induct people into the Hall of Fame. Maybe sometimes they didn't agree that they should have been inducted, but that's beside the point. And they'd get up in their talks, and they don't credit anything that happened before them. Mm-hmm. Nothing inspired them. It was all, they all were like Athena's full born out of Zeus's head. Mm. You know, you know um, I mean, I, I, so I did the, uh, George Lawson's creation, a big idea, and I showed, I took what I did and I somehow figured out, sometimes it was obvious, and sometimes I had to figure out my own DNA, where I got it from. Because it all comes from someplace. Every idea comes from someplace. Not that you're stealing ideas, my God. What you do is you, t- you do something so incredibly fresh. But then you realize that it really is a combination of, of the. It really is a combination of really understanding the culture and understanding understanding you know, you know movies, black and white movies. Certainly, you know the early movies and understanding uh, the dance and understanding and being literate and being and understanding literature and uh, and being a sports fan. And uh, and uh, you know, and, and uh, there's a million things in the culture that you should understand and be a part of, uh, you know. And and uh, if you can do that, uh, I mean that all feeds into uh, into your work, you know. Sometimes it feels mystical, you know. But uh, but I you know. But I always I feel mystical about a lot of things I do. I mean, uh, I, t- I tell young people if you really understand have a problem. And you really get into it, and I don't mean it takes weeks. I mean, I, you, you can do it in a couple of hours, and, and you really think about it. Um, there's an answer there, a surprising, unique, innovative answer to your problem. And it's your job to, and it's there. Mm. It's floating by. <laughs> you just have to know enough, to, there it is, and you grab it. I don't think I create ideas. Mm. I think 
they're there. The answers are there. And I, I, I discover them. I pluck them out of the air. And I'm, I'm serious about that. You know, I mean, I sit there and I say, I know it. I know there's an answer here. You know, I know there's an answer. You know, it's, it's over here somewhere. You know, I keep thinking. I said, that's it. That's it. You know, um, but it's not sitting there saying, gee, I'm a genius. I did it out. Yeah, you know, which most people, most, most, uh, a lot of uh, creative people are very arrogant about, uh, you know, about. I mean, I could talk for days about the people before me. Mm -hmm. I could talk for days about what the, the contributions of, uh, you know, of Dr. Aga and, uh, you know, and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and Brodovich and, uh, you know, and, and, and Bill Golden and Lou Dorsman and, and Lou and Herb Lou Ballin and, uh, you know, and Alvin, Alvin Lustig. And I mean, I could go on and on and on. I love talking about them, you know. Uh, uh, and Paul Rand, of course, you know what I mean? And my work is nothing like any of theirs. Yeah. It's not what they. It's it, you know. It, it's it's not. You're not. You're standing on their shoulders, but you're not. But you're not taking their work. Mm. You know. What you're taking is their inspiration and their power and their uh, and their attitude and uh, and their and their and they're, they're always coming up with an innovative answer. Yeah. It's one of the ways I've, I've heard it expressed. It's not that you're coming up with a new idea. It's about a recombination of old ideas. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I mean, with yeah, most, I mean, but sometimes I t you talk about you know, visuals, visual communication, and sometimes, you know, as you're talking, you mentioned about, you know, about taking, uh, you know, cliches and tons of great ideas come out of directly out of a cliche and they say a cliche I said yeah cliches are you know, world understood you know, worldwide understood what you do is you take the cliche and you make it really make really it's hot shit you know what I mean um, yeah, I mean, I, there's, there's a the guy those guys in Britain did a book Peter Davenport right yeah he did a book on cliches, I think. I did. I wrote. I wrote the introduction for it. Um, and they took ads that had cliches in them, and you look at them, and they're the best ads you can. You can best ads you can. You can. You can. You there's whole two, two, three pages on mustaches, you know, and you look at it and you say, oh, 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 oh look at the way he did that, you know, yeah. you know, that's thrilling stuff, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know the, uh, the, the, also, I always talk about, I, I was, I'm so, I mean, all my books I've done, this, the 10th book coming up, this damn good, damn good advice, but. When's that due out? It's going to come out in March. You know, it did, you know, it's like, we, uh, that's going to be a damn good advice for people with talent. I'll take a picture of that and put yeah. it on the blog. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, um, but um, it was interesting because all my books are teach. as far as I'm concerned, all my books are teaching books. If you look at any of my books, a lot of kids, people say to me, um, what's, what's, what's the best advice you can give me? I said, read, read my books. Mm. <laughs> I, I did them for you. I did, <laughs> you know, I did them for you. Yeah. I mean, read them. I mean, I, I, I talk about about how to think, about how to about attitude, about 
passion for work. I talk about work ethic. I talk about not taking and not eating shit, you know, and learning. I, I, I talk about courage. I talk about, I mean, I talk about everything. Everything I got to say is in the books. But what's interesting, when I did this one, I said, okay, I'm going to do a $10 book. Not, you know, okay, any kid can. He just he doesn't don't eat one of those shitty uh, you know Big Macs that day and buy the book instead. <laughs> you know what I mean? And change your life. You know and 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 and, and I really try to nail down all the, the the really important things I think that there is to understand about creativity, and I, a lot of it is courage. You know. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and a p- real passion for your work, you know, and understanding the history of art. Yeah. Oh God, I, I, you know, I was at, I did a couple of Steve Ellis classes at, at School of Visual Arts over the years, and uh, you know, you, you say, uh, uh, which, uh, how many kids have gone to the Metropolitan Museum of Art this year? Not, nobody raises their hand. I said, okay. How many have been there the last couple of years? You know, two people. How about the Museum of Modern Art? You know, a couple of people were there this year. I said, that's, that's unbelievable. I mean, what? And they don't know anything. If you mention Paul Rand's name, they don't never heard of Paul Rand, and they never heard of. I mean, they never heard of Bill Golden. They never heard of. Oh my God! Somehow they've heard of me because of my books, I guess. And for some reason, for some reason, I mean, when I uh, when the Esquire covers got into the, uh, the permanent collection of the uh, of Museum of Modern Art and. 2008, I think it was. 2000. Um, the uh, and it was it was a year-long show. There were the first uh, the first uh, week there was one million six hundred thousand hits on my website. Wow. Worldwide, I, I said, "Whoa, something's going on here." No, yeah, but then uh, you know, I that somebody uh, then I get a call from. Um, there's a there's a real there's a hotel in. Uh, New York called the Ace Hotel. I don't know if you ever heard of it. I mean, it's like the, the you know the Ace Hotel. Yeah. Every young person, they, they, people go there to, to to look at the people sitting in the lobby, you know. And I get a call from him, and he said, "I want to throw you a book party, you know, on your MoMA on the MoMA bar. And I said, uh, a "Young guy," and I said, uh, "You're terrific, but why? I mean, I, I mean, I'm really talking to young." I really want to talk to the young kids, you know. He said, oh, you're, you're kidding. Young kids think you're a genius. I said, huh? <laughs> you know, that's, they talk about you all the time here. Huh? You know, I, I don't quite get it. So somehow, somehow my name is cut through and people, and I, mean, I get 20 emails a day, fan things, you know, and a lot of them beautiful, and a lot of them saying I'm a genius too, you know. But, <laughs> but um, but the history of artists, and certainly the history of design, is completely not understood. I mean, I was, again, at this agency a couple of weeks ago, a giant agency. Don't ask me why I was there. <laughs> and I was talking to a bunch of you know, just informally a bunch of kids. They didn't know nothing. They don't know shit. 
about the culture. They don't know shit about design, about the history of design. I mean, if you mention a, a name, a Clark Gable, a, a, an actor, they, they've never heard of him. Well, why would we have heard of him? I mean, what are you talking about? I said, have you ever heard of Jesus Christ? We, we, we weren't born then. You know, I said, have you ever heard of Jesus Christ? And you're a Christian, right? You heard of Jesus Christ. You heard of Julius Caesar. Why don't you... you Truly, not, not, how can you do great work with, when you don't understand popular culture, certainly, and of course, culture, you know, high culture? You know, are we going off way off? By, off by? No, this is absolutely wonderful. I, I wanted to go way off. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know how to stick to a topic. <laughs> but um, can, can I go back to, um, go back to the early days? And, and you spent a year at DDB and you're working with, uh, with Bill Byrne back there. And his, the way he comes across in interviews that I've, uh, that I've seen, there's quite a few of them on YouTube, which are great, and uh, also interviews and books that have been published. He comes across as a, a real gent, a, a, just a lovely, gentle, intelligent man. Was that what he was like? Oh, yeah, he was yeah, a, a gent from, uh, a gentleman from Brooklyn, too. I mean, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, like, I'm from the Bronx, and I, I mean, I think I'm a gentleman. I'm a gentleman with... Uh, uh, I am a gentleman, but I'm but I'm a rough. I'm rough if you fuck with me. You know what I mean? I mean, I mean, I don't, I don't like people who talk to waiters badly and talk down to people and are rude in the street. I mean, I, I get pissed, but no, he's a. He, um, I, I you know uh, I knew when I was when I. Uh, Working with uh, with Herbie Lubalin, at uh, great man, at uh, at uh, Southern Hennessy, I knew I was going to go to Doyle Dance sooner or later. In fact, um, this was in the mid fifties, mid mid fifties. Um, I uh, I uh, a Bob Gage somehow. I don't quite remember how I got to Bob Gage. I think Lou Dorsman, who was kind of always mentored me. I, I met, I came back from the army, and in, uh, in, in uh, I went to the high school in music and art. No, I, I was in public school. I do 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 all the time, and I could draw. And uh, I was going to go to high to uh, deal with Clinton High School, you know, normal high school in the, in the Bronx, no doubt about it. I, I, I had a teacher come up to me and she said, George, do you have 10 cents to, you, to go to Subway? Five cents either way back then. Uh, yes, ma'am. She said, and, uh, uh, you want to go to 135th Street in Convent Avenue, place high school of music and art? I said, yeah, I'd never heard of it. You're going to go there and you're going to take a test. You have to be there at 1030. You're going to take a test today. I would take this portfolio. She had a black string portfolio, which cost her a couple of bucks. And she opened it up, and it was about a hundred of my drawings that she had saved all over the years yeah. when I was in public school. Yeah. And I take it, and I took the test. I got into high school music and art. She, she said, "You will get into high school music and art." It changed my life because everything. I mean, I learned. I, I mean, I, I. I understood what I was going to do in life at the high school in music and art. I mean, the first day, the first uh, uh, year, I was 14. And I, I write a bit, just a couple of times, I have it in a book. Uh, you know, you, one of the classes, 
uh, and you talk, it's all the academic courses, but on top of that, you know, we, we were from 8 o'clock in the morning to 4.30 at night. It was like four, three hours longer than any other high school. And, uh, and that, those were added art courses. One of them was a design course at 14, where you, where you, where you did kind of uh, either Kandinsky's or Clay's, uh, Malevich's, you know, you did design, you designed shapes and stuff. And you, okay, do a design of, uh, of squares. Okay, now do a design of uh, squares and circles. Now do a design of circles, squares, and tri triangles. Now design anything you want, blah, 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 blah. And you do it, and if you had talent, if you had design talent, whatever that means, you, your work kind of stood out. But it was non, not thinking stuff, you know, not communicative stuff. And, um, and then the last, this was after the first term, and he said, okay, now we're gonna do, today we're gonna do a, uh, a design on, on rectangles. And what you do right now is going to be half the mark for you for the term. You know, been there, done that. I mean, I think eighteen by twenty-four sheet of paper he gave us, and I just sat there for an hour and twenty minutes. I didn't move. I didn't move. And he, Mr. Patterson, he was turning. He was turning red. He was because I was a great. I was a terrific student, and he's looking at me and. You know, with his eyes saying, work. And, and, and after an hour and a half, whatever it was, he said, time's up. He was, and he was picking up my He comes up to me to grab it, and I hold it, grabbed, I held it, and I said, one second, Mr. Patterson, and I wrote George Lois in the corner of my 18 by 24 rectangle. <laughs> and, I, and I gave it him, and he still was furious. He, he didn't get it. You know, and, and next morning, uh, what I taught myself was there's an answer, there's an innovative answer to every problem. Mm. And it was a non-objective art that we were doing, but there's an there's a answer to the problem. Do, the, do, a, do a, 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 a rectangle design that's better than any rectangle design ever designed. 18 by 24 rectangle. Mm. And the next, the reason I knew, he, he, the next morning I go, I'm in, in the hallway, and three or four teachers came up and they said, oh, George, what you did in Mr. Patterson's class was brilliant. He, I think he probably went to his locker at the end of the day, and he said, what's going on with George Lois? I mean, somebody said, well, what do you do? He said, well, he can't do this empty sheet of, this empty 18 by 24 sheet of paper. 18 by 24 rectangle. <laughs> oh, something going on in his head. No, so what I'm saying is, and I, what I teach people, young people, try to teach young people, is there's an answer, an innovative answer to every problem. It's there. It's in your face. In fact, with the rectangle, I was looking at it. An 18 by, you know, understand, it's, it's that obvious. It's in your face. This time it was literally in my face. But when, that's, when I say it's in your face, it is in your face. It's out there somewhere. Grab it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> now, when you, there's a story I've heard about Bill Bernbach. That oh, he, oh, Bill, yeah, well. So anyway, so I, I was, so anyway, I got it, I, I'm so, I, I, 
that was high school. Then I went to high school, then I graduated, I went to Pratt, I shouldn't have gone to Pratt, but thank God I did because I met my wife the first day. Yeah. And I, I, I was, that was it, I saw her, that, that's all I wanted in life. And I realized after a couple of days that the school was terrible, yeah. that they didn't know what they were doing. And I would kept pulling her out of class, et cetera, and I, and I wasn't gonna leave school, because mm. I, I was with her, I was taking her to museums. I, I, I taught her myself. And uh, I go into the second year, kind of not knowing, the important thing is I had, to, I, had to learn, I had to get a job. I had to learn, I had to, I was working with my father's florist. Mm. I, I, and he, I know he expected me to take over his florist when I, mm. and I wasn't gonna be a florist, you know. Didn't, want, didn't know how to tell him, like I loved the man too much to tell him. Mm. In any case, so I go into my second year and after a couple of weeks, my te there's a teacher there who said, what are you doing in, what are you doing in school? What are you doing here? I said, well, I'm trying to get, he said, what are you, he writes me a, Woman, a, a phone number of a great woman art director at a studio. They said, "Go to her. Call, to, call. Go to her. She'll give. Trust me, she'll give you a job." You know, I mean, all right? Boom! I was out of school working for an incredible woman by the name of Reba Socius. But what happened is, and I, and she, I was, the, she made me the head art director of a studio. I was 19. I got married. <laughs> you know, because I, hey, I was making a couple of pounds. But then I got drafted because it was the war. I went to Korea, fought in Korea. Then when I came back from Korea, she wanted to give me a, be, she wanted me to be a, a, her partner in a studio, but I, I said, I was hesitant, she was so wrong. I said, I really want to work at CBS television. That, that was the beginning of CBS, so I just, I, did, I just wanted to, so she sent me, a, a, to Bill, to Lou Dorsman, who's the head of radio, and I meet Louie, and he's looking at my work, and he said, hey, Jesus, gee, kid, this is terrific. And another New York guy, that's terrific stuff. He said, Lois, Lois, a Jewish? I said, no, I'm no fucking Jew. I'm a fucking Greek. Louis and I became, uh, my, he's my, he became my big brother yeah. for the rest of my life, you know. Um, and, but, and, and he said, I don't have a job here, but I said, well, thanks a lot. Anyway, no, whatever, I'll send you to Bill Gold, of course, three whole fire high in the middle. I, I go to Bill, I work for Bill Gold. So that was, so I worked for some incredible people. I worked for, for Reba Socius when I was very young. I worked for Bill Gold, then I went to work with Herbie Lou Ballon, you know, and then, and then I, I went to Doyle Dane. I could have got to Doyle Dane earlier, because Bob Gage could, because Louis sent me to Gage, mm. probably two years before I went there, finally. And Gage said, oh, terrific. I want to make you the head of my promotion department, head art director. And I said, great. And in between, you know, give me three or four accounts so I can do, I'll do promotion for everybody in the agency, but I'll also do promotion by own accounts. He said, no, 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 George, the door damn brought back, you know, you know, you had a promotion upon us, enough of a job. I said, no, no, I'll, no, I'll do it all. I, I, I got to work on two or three accounts from the beginning anyway. He said, no, no that's not it. I said, okay, forget about it. And I got up and I, he said, well, you're leaving? I said, yeah. I said, I mean, I, I will just work on promotion, but I'll, I'll, I'll do the best promotion in the world, but I, 
I want some accounts too. He said, but, and I walked out. He, you know, he was stunned. He was, and then a couple of years later or less, I think, I think Louis probably called Gage and said, you remember George Lois? He said, yeah, the guy walked out of me. <laughs> he said, well, he said, about, how about just hiring him now? He said, in a minute. You know, yeah. So I went, up, went to see him, and I met Bernback when I went to see him. Gage had already kind of hired me, but he was, and he was looking at that stuff fine. And a week or two later, I start at Doyle Dan Burnback. That's just the first part of George Lewis's interview. There's more to come. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. And go and buy my dad's book. I want to go to some expensive university, not a rubbishy art college. Gotta go. Bye.